Welcome to Christchurch Manchester Sermon Podcast. CCM is one church that meets every Sunday in various locations across Manchester. For more information about who we are or about our Sunday meetings, please visit www.christchurchmanchester.com. This is a very complicated uh, chapter. And do you know, when, when I was asked to do it, which was, it was a few weeks ago, and I'd just finished uh, pointing a wall. It was a six-foot wall, and I'd never done that kind of thing before. And I was thinking, I was so pleased with the finished product. I'm standing back, and Tom texts me, and I just said straight away, yeah, I'll do it, no problem. And then afterwards, I looked at the chapter and think, what on earth have you done, John? <laughs> You weren't really thinking through, and uh, you should have paused and looked and then maybe reflected a little bit. So this is complicated. Uh, again, still waiting for laptops, so no, um, no, nothing up there. But you will, need, you will need your Bibles on your phone or your Bible in your hand, because uh, you're going to be confused if, if you don't have those things. So if you've got access to a scripture... Uh, which is Galatians chapter 3, 15 to 29. Um, That would be good, and we'll read it together, okay? So stay with me today, and as soon as you go to sleep, I'm going to throw water at you. Uh, So I've got some down here for me and for you. Uh, But it's, it's not easy, but it's glorious. Take it, take it, it's glorious. So, brothers, let me give an example from everyday life. Just as no one can set aside or add to a human covenant that has been duly established, so it is in this case. The promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. The scripture does not say unto seeds, meaning many people, but to your seed, meaning one person who is Christ, or Messiah, Christos, Christ, Messiah. What I mean is this, the law introduced 430 years later does not set aside the covenant previously established by God and thus do away with the promise. For if the inheritance depends on the law, then it no longer depends on a promise, but God in his grace gave it to Abraham through a promise. What then was the purpose of the law? It was added because of transgressions until the seed to whom the promise referred had come. The law was put into effect through angels by a mediator. A mediator, however, does not represent just one party, but God is one. You with it still? (laughs) Is the law therefore opposed to the promises of God? Absolutely not. For if the law had been given that could impart life, then righteousness would certainly have come by the law. But the scripture declares that the whole world is prisoner of sin, so that what was promised being given through faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Before this faith came, we were held prisoners by the law, locked up until faith should be revealed. So the law was put in charge to lead us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. Now that faith has come, we are no longer under the supervision of the law. And then this tremendous verse, you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus, For all of you were baptized into Christ, have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. 
Wendy was called away to Watford this week. Uh, we've had, a, we've had a, a mixed week this week. We've had new birth. We've had challenges with health. So Thursday evening, uh, myself and my daughter think, ha-ha. And uh, I do one dish, chili con carne, and she's fed up with that. So I thought, well, <laughs> how about going to the Chinese takeaway? And um, uh, that's what I like. And sometimes when Wendy's around, we can't have that. Uh, but that's another story. So I go to this Chinese takeaway in Burton Road. Burton Road is the place to go to. And I tried the door. And um, Thursday night, and it's locked. Ah, oh, it's strange. And I'm thinking, oh, I'm getting more and more hungry. And then I stood back, and it said, sign closed. Ah, oh, so I thought, disappointment. I kind of started to walk away, thinking it's going to have to be chili con carne. <laughs> and suddenly, as I'm walking away, the owner appeared out of the do- locked door. I don't know how he did that, but he was just, just there. And he said, sorry, closed, staff in Hong Kong. But come in. And then he said to me, it's vermicelli Singapore style, isn't it? That's what you want. I said, I thought, I mean, before a profit here. <laughs> and then, he, and then he, he said to me, and I said, well, I'll have, I'll have chicken and black bean sauce as well and some fried rice. I said, well, let me fire up the wok and cut the ingredients for you. And there I am in a dark, sat in the waiting room. And as I'm going, I'm feeling so privileged. Even there's one or two come to the window, and I, I'm not looking at them. You know, I'm, just, uh, I'm just looking ahead. <laughs> I thought nothing's going to put up that man off, you know, put, doing me this. And um, I, I just I say, 10 minutes later, he's there. He's come with the meal done for you. And then I was just overwhelmed. He said, uh, you have been a loyal customer for 20 years. I was going to correct him because it had been 30, actually. But I, 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 better not, I better not say anything. He said, I will do meals for you anytime. And I just, was, I just gave him all the money I had. He said, oh, too much. no, 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 take it, take it, take it all. <laughs> and uh, he just knew what I wanted. I had open access. And when it looked inconvenient... And I went away feeling very, very special, special customer. I never expected such service. He's got me for life. Till the daisies are pushing me out. You know, I'm pushing daisies up. That's probably number 20 years. I'm going to be there. If he's still there, I'm going to be there in, in, a, in a number of years' time. To that, Even Wendy there or not. <laughs> now, listen. God has brought about one spectacular inclusive family. And we're part of it. We are privileged to be part of it. He's given his best, his absolute best, to make it happen in the form of his son. And I just hope this morning, because I think we need it as a Western church, let the Holy Spirit, let something of its reality dawn on us this morning. The one feels not on the periphery, but we all find ourselves wanting to be in the center of what God is doing. That's where he's placed us. Don't go on the periphery, come to the center. This is an overwhelming passage. And the thrust is this, that Christ, the Messiah, in the cataclysmic event of the cross and resurrection, has brought about an absolutely outstanding, astounding new reality. The one single promised family of Abraham. Verse 28 is the standout verse. And spectacular 
pronouncement regarding the nature of oneness. There's no neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. In other words, regarding social, racial, ethnic, gender differences and distinctions, they have been buried through the baptismal waters of Christ. And now we are clothed with Christ. We have a new identity or new creation. Often I've struggled in life thinking I'm not making much progress. And, and sometimes I've, I've got into a bad state in trying to strive and always thinking, what if that happened to me or whatever? Or did I take a wrong turn there? Listen, the best thing that's ever happened to us is Christ. That's it. Full stop, period. New creation has resulted. If you like status or the lack of it, has been redefined around Jesus the Messiah. You're all one, Paul says, in the Messiah. And if you belong to the Messiah, you are Abraham's family, and you stand and I stand to inherit the promise that was given to Abraham in Genesis 18, 18. Let me just very quickly, I'm going to, be, I'm going to go quick here because... I, um, I just want to give some background, background to, to Galatians, but really the ads here, okay. So I've just, just been reading around and I've been fascinated by, by what I've seen from historians <coughs> as well as theologians. Historian Tom Holland, who is one of my, he's the guy, uh, makes the point that throughout South Galatia there were colonies at this time when it was written filled with retired Roman soldiers, who were loyal to Rome, and Augustus Caesar, he had built in South Galatia a mighty multi-lane highway. Not like the M25, it was direct, okay? Linking the whole of South Galatia, which served as a symbol of the might of Rome. And to travel on it, this highway, was to pay homage to Caesar Augustus. And he proclaimed himself son of God. He was, was on his way to being a god himself, leading to the, what was called the cult of emperor worship. And he also proclaimed that after war, he had ushered in a golden period. So he's the son of God, and he's ushered in a golden period. Now, in Galatians, interestingly, Paul boasts this in chapter 4, verse 4. When the time had fully come, implies the dawning of a new age, God sent his son So Paul is confronting this imperial boast of Caesar. No, he says it's rather, it's Jesus is the reality. He's the true son of God. He alone has inaugurated the true new age. If you like Augustus, he's a dangerous parody or caricature. So that's some background. So you could say Paul in this letter, he's putting in their place principalities and powers operating through political social systems of the day through, through the Romans and the Greeks as well. And particularly Augustus is mimicking, if you like, the true state of affairs. The reality is Jesus, he's the Lord of the world, Caesar is not. Okay? But also there's something else that would affect these Gentile Galatian believers following Christ, and that is unrest that would have come from civic authorities in South Galatia. South Galatia was plagued with idols. 
and to worship them was compulsory. Roman and Greek gods. There's a multitude of portable household gods, and on every street corner there were gods and temples in towns and cities. Worship included weekly, monthly, annual festivals, including sacrifices and orgies. Roman males could have sex with whoever they wanted at any time they wanted, and there was no comeback. There was no Me Too movement. It was a cruel world. And added to the cult of the emperor just mentioned that he was worshipped as well as Greek and Roman gods. Everybody was expected to join in those festivals. And those who didn't were noticed and they were remarked on. Only Jews, including those scattered throughout South Galatia, which there were many, had been given exemption from worshipping idols. And what Rome, Rome agreed was that Jews could worship their Jewish God on one condition. They prayed to their God for the prosperity of Rome and the emperor. Now, here's the potential problem. Who are these people, Gentile Galatian believers, not worshipping our gods, but kind of claiming Jewish exemption, but don't follow Sabbath and Jewish dietary food laws? And especially when things went wrong in the local area through plagues, floods, pandemics, they would take it that the gods were angry. So who, what is responsible? And they would be seen as a danger, a liability to society. And similarly, the spread out Jewish population would ask, who are these Messiah people who are claiming our exemption, but not following our practices, so giving us a bad name? This could cause trouble for us. And all of this is creating the perfect storm of which we see in Galatians, a dangerous situation for them. So you can see why these rival teachers maybe are pressing hard to protect the Jewish exemption. And Paul says, interestingly, in Galatians 6, 12 to 13, he questions their motives and says they've not got pure motives at all. They're just trying to stay away from being persecuted themselves. Well, that in mind, let's look at the passage. And don't allow, just we'll do it quickly, but don't allow the obscurity and the fact that it's complicated put us off. There's gold in them hills. They just need mining, but we've just got about 20 minutes to do it. All right. <laughs> okay. Verse 15, last week was mentioned, <clears throat> Rob mentioned, amongst other things, about the faith of Abraham. And Paul's now, he continues from verse 15 with the story of Abraham, but in, in the... In, starts off with an illustration of a will, showing that once established, a human will is irrevocable. I'm losing my voice. And in the same way... So I'll go faster, so I'll finish for you. <clears throat> in the same way, God has made this covenanted agreement with Abraham. And so he's simply saying the familiar act of will-making is to show that the covenant with Abraham creates an unbreakable context for all that follows. And then we have this verse 16, which is crucial, a crucial, pivotal verse. He says, the promises were made to Abraham and his seed. It does not say seeds, meaning many people, but to your seed, meaning one person who is Christ. Crucial in a number of ways. Because it says, it makes it clear that the promise to Abraham was to do with bringing one single family using the term seeds and not seeds, plural. It's important because false teachers, including Peter's hypocrisy, is resulting in division. 
And it's trying to reinstate, if you like, <clears throat> Jewish practices, boundary lines, and in Peter's case, bring separation at the table between Jew and Gentile. But what he says in this verse is this single family, this promised family, has been realized through Christ. Greek word, Christos, the Messiah. Christ, the Messiah. And behind that one word, because like Paul is just cryptic, he's in haste, he's just running things off quickly in this letter, but behind that one word lies the earth-shattering, cataclysmic event of the death and resurrection of Jesus, bringing about new creation. It is this, Paul is saying, this very thing that has brought about the realisation of the promise. Not a new teaching. And I think we need to get hold of this. Jesus is not a new teaching. It's not a new teaching. It is a new reality. A new reality that has been brought about. The old age may rumble on, but the new age has broken in through the resurrection of Christ. Then another thing gets a bit complicated. Paul joins Christ, or Messiah as I said, with seed. He's pulling them together in a collective sense. <clears throat> that the promises made to Abraham have been fulfilled in Christ the Messiah and his messianic people to produce a single worldwide family. Now this is important because in a way what is true of Christ is true of them, the Galatians, and of us. His story has shaped our story. And he uses, if you like, inclusive, incorporative language till Christ is formed in you. In other words, the whole Christian community is to become a living embodiment of the visible sign of the Messiah. You could say Galatians, the book of, is about discovering what it means to be Messiah people. And Christ is the prototype of new creation. He's the firstborn from among the dead. And we are his image bearers. Hebrews talks about the book of Christ as a forerunner, that he's gone ahead of us, that he's ruling now as the true Lord of the world. And we, in being linked to him, we are royal people in waiting that will have a ruling role in the new heavens, the inheritance, and the new earth that is to come. These are massive themes, massive themes. Christ is at the forefront in every sense of the family that he has inaugurated, and we bear his likeness. We are image bearers. That is gigantic, gigantic implications for the contemporary church that we're in at the moment in the 21st century. In summary, the Messiah has come. He is the fulfillment. He alone. He's the fulfillment of the promise of Abraham. So with this in mind, now don't go to sleep, let's put the Jewish Mosaic law in perspective. Because this is the very thing that the outsiders are trying to reinstate. I'll go quickly through this. He says in verse 17, look, saying that, the Torah, the law, another word, the Torah, which is the first five books, plus all the regulations that came from the Mosaic law. So we'll use that term interchangeably, Mosaic law or Torah. It was introduced 500 years later after this promise to Abraham had come and cannot change the commented promise. What's all this fuss he's saying about the importance of what came out of Mount Sinai when important 
an unbreakable committed agreement about an uncountable family from God came 500 years earlier. That later law cannot abolish what has already been put in place. You've missed seeing the primary importance of the main event in every sense. I think we miss it. We miss seeing sometimes the main event that's happened and its implications for us. And then in verse 18, we have the aim of the promise, which was inheritance. One of the main themes of Genesis, inheritance of this worldwide family. Family. Inheritance, this is massive, it will come out later, because in, later in Galatians, has to do with the whole created order coming under the lordship of the king of kings. It's given to the son, Hebrews chapter 1. And then implications for us, Hebrews chapter 2. Torah rules, especially circumcision, of which they're trying to force on these male believers, is not the thing that matters. What matters is inheritance coming via the promise. But then, as Paul is, he's a clever chap, one of the most clever, cleverest chaps ever lived on the face of the earth, says, well, why then the Mosaic law? What was the... Well, that question is vast. Paul gives a short answer. He says it was because of transgressions. It was because of sin. Since Israel itself was composed of sinful human beings... And Abraham, we know there was a good chap, he messed up pretty spectacularly. Israel was bound to go astray. So something had to be put in place to stop them. Something that stopped them going off the rails. Without the law, if you like, coming, sinning would continue, but there would be no realization of stepping over a line. So sin needed to be shown up for what it really was, deadly disobedience so it could be dealt with properly. Overall, the problem is not with the law, it's not with the Torah, but it's with the material that the Torah is working with. Mankind, humankind is sinful. Israel was sinful. And then in relation to the law, we have until the seed clause implying that this Mosaic law, it was put in place on a strictly time-limited basis. Until when? Until the family should come to whom it had been promised. Torah was given for a good purpose, but a temporary purpose. Once the Abrahamic promise is fulfilled in Christ, in the Messiah, and his worldwide people, that promise is accomplished. And it's vital for these Gentile believers to hear this because they're urged to come under Torah. Paul is saying, look, that time is now past. It's gone in the economy of God. It had a temporary job for a time-limited period. If you like, it says in verse 19, Torah laid down, was laid down at the hand of a mediator. The mediator being Moses. So what's the problem with the mediator? The mediator, he says, is not the mediator of one, of, of one, stands in the middle of two. And it was never Moses' intention, with God's never in- intention with Moses to bring about the single family of God promised to Abraham through Moses. Moses could not bring about the single worldwide family. He had a different job. Moses' job was to keep the Jews and the Gentiles separate at arm's length before the Messiah came. 
That's ironically what these false teachers are trying to reinstate. Separation, which was never God's ultimate purpose. Keep with me. We nearly finished on the law. And he then uses a a cryptic cryptic phrase, but God is one. In other words, one God desires a single family where Jews and Gentiles are together on equal terms. And the Galatians already belong to the family of Abraham's family. So why go back to what is temporary and negative? 21, is the Mosaic law against God's promises? No. If, if a law had been given that could, be, could have given life, then covenant membership could really, would have been by the law. And then Galatians would have had to have been circumcised. If it had been a perfect people of God, there'd been no need for a crucified Messiah. But again, the problem is the human condition, sinful human condition. And Paul then, verse 22, he just rams the point home. The God-given purpose of the good Torah was to shut up everything in the prison house of sin. In other words, the consequences for these Galatian believers, if you adopt Torah, you're asking to go to jail. Jail is the best that it can do with sinners. The only way forward is through the faithful death of the Messiah brought about through his faithful obedience That alone brings the promise of inheritance into reality. And in the same way, it's people of faith who are the promised heirs. They will inherit the world. And then very quickly, he just puts then the attention on the Jewish people. He's not talking to the Galatians now. He's saying the pronoun we. It's talking about Jews and he himself a a Jew. And he, he, he just explains why the Jewish law was put there. And he said that it had a role of a supervisor or a guardian. It was the role taken by a first century slave whose job it was to get the household children to and from school, making sure that they did not get up to mischief on the way. He didn't teach them. He just was, was there helping and guiding And then when that person became an adult, that person, that guardian, that babysitter would no longer be a required job over, it's done. And now he says that Messiah's people mean that that wasn't needed even for Jews. Because what happens and what's needed now is to be identified with the coming of the Messiah, which is by faith. We're no longer under the babysitter. Torah's done. Now it's faithfulness and it's faith that reigns. If you Galatians get circumcised, you're going back to the old age. You're going back to a time of slavery which just involved the Jews and it was a temporary regime. Through the Messiah's faithful self-giving sacrifice of his death, he has overcome the powers of evil And he's launched this new creation of which the the gospel and the renewed people of God are the advance guard and witness. And then 26 to 29, we'll just end here before we just have a bit of of, of application. These last four verses just gush forth with real intensity of what it means to be God's true family. This 
Paul's saying. Forget about the law. This is what the family looks like. He calls them, verse 26, you are God's sons. That's a special title. We may say children to be more gender inclusive in our society, but probably we'd miss the point because sons of God was the title that Israel had. It was the, also denoted what the elder son, that he was the one that would inherit the estate from his father. And we are heirs. Inheritance has come through faith in the Messiah. It was also a title of Jesus, obviously, son of God. And using this incorporated language again, we are of the Messiah. We're sons, children of God, sons and daughters of the living God. We, followers of Christ, are true inheritors of the title through faith. The very thing that oils our life in him. And then verse 27, it says, well, how do you know you are of the Messiah? Because you're baptized into him. And because you're clothed with Christ. Or you've put on Christ. Baptism, the outward sign that we belong to him. And clothed, exhibiting his likeness, his Christ-like virtues. And then this show-stopping glorious implication. There is no longer Jew nor Greek. There's no longer slave or free. There is no male or female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. The point of this verse is, is, a, is a first century take on the single family. In terms of membership, none of these either or categories apply. There's no distinction. There is a new reality through sharing in the Messiah's death and resurrection that means everyone is as much a true and full member as are the apostles and pillars of the church in Jerusalem. We are all one in the Messiah, neither male nor female. Circumcision would have brought differentiation between male and female. But in Christ, all male and female are baptized, all have faith in Christ the same. We are all one. Verse 29, if you belong to the Messiah, you are Abraham's family. You stand to inherit the promise completely. Some contemporary application, just to finish. Historian Tom Holland says of verse 28, it's like neither neither Jew nor Greek, male nor female, slave or free. It's like a death charge exploding beneath the Roman Greco world. And the ripple effects are being felt today in the 21st century. I think we need to, that's a powerful thing to say. We need to hear it again just as it was originally said. Let those ripples, Lord, become a death charge for us in terms of living as we are, as God's people, Messiah people, in a corrupt and perverse and ungodly generation. South Galatia had the challenges. In the introduction, I shared some of those, but we live in, West, in the West in a time of heightened nationalism, hatred, tribalism, separation, where there are 21st century gods everywhere in the worship of idols. Money, consumerism, status, body appearance. And then to add all this, they've got confused identity. And one looks at the church and cannot help but note in some respects it tends to reflect the world. Divided, 
consumerist, celebrity culture, and so on. And church segregated. Remember, with meeting one of my lecturers to work at the university, and he said to me, "John, I've been I'm, I'm, I'm discovering Buddhism, but I want to know one thing about Christianity. Why has he got so many denominations?" We're in Didsbury. Why have you got a Baptist church there, a Methodist church there, an Anglican church there? Why is it? Good point. And sometimes we are divided on, on grounds of ethnicity, age, and social classes. If Paul was here today and we got the letter to the UK, I wonder how shocked he would be and what he would suggest as to the action we should take. If we have one distinction, and we shouldn't have distinctions between us, even in the family, our one distinction should be universal. It should be Christ. He is the distinctive that we have. We are called to be countercultural partakers of this new reality. One family that transcends social, racial, gender divides and strife. Equal participation, equal status. No one in the family of God, he's forgotten by God. Everybody feasts at his table unconditionally. People are people, not objects, to use, exploit, but brothers and sisters. We're to prefer others before self. We should make way for them. We should consider them. And why I say this, that the root cause of a problem here is, is chapter 6, 12 to 13, is the people who are trying to push these people back into the law are full of self-interest. They're not interested in you, Paul says. They're trying to make a good impression, but God sees everything. Christ has brought about the possibility of inclusion and embrace for all through his adopted family. Our modern society tends to exclude and react with fear and anger to those outside, resulting in ever-narrowing circles of like-minded fellows. You see that happening today. But we, the family of God, are called to open ourselves up to each other, to hold each other with the same embrace, if you like, that God has embraced us with. And it's then, just to finish, it's then when we cut across social, cultural, gender, and ethnic boundaries, it's a sign to the world that God is God and Jesus is Lord. Because there's only one family. And it's creation, it says in Romans 8. It waits with eager expectation for the revealing of the sons of God. What a spectacle that we need to activate, that we need to realize more and more those Sermon on the Mount virtues that we've been looking at over the last few months. And just start at home base. Start, Lord, with me. So that the world takes note of the church for the right reasons. You know, when the church awakens to its rightful purpose and destiny, there's nothing like it on the face of the earth. Nothing at all can compare with the body of Christ. It's new creation being so. Anticipatory now, working out now, of what's going to be consummation that's coming at the end of time.